So Easter was, was really fun last week. I don't know if everybody um, made it here, but it was, it was really exciting. I had a great time at the service last week. Um, and sometimes it's, hu- it's tough to come down from a, from a spiritual high like that. Um, Jared mentioned earlier, um, we get so excited and we build up to, to big events. And big things happen and it's, it's easy to get ramped up for that because everyone around you is doing it. But sometimes there's an, there's an after. In fact, always there's an after. And it's important to remember that Easter for us was not the end and for Jesus was not the end. Following his resurrection, Jesus was on earth for 40 more days. And the question, I think a legitimate question is, is why? It was done, right? He had fulfilled the prophecy. He had died on the cross for us. He had taken our sin, made it his responsibility. And his ultimate separation from God the Father in our place and then came back to life three days later. What's left? You know, what did you do with your three-day weekend? I didn't accomplish near that much. So, during those 40 days after his resurrection, the Bible records that Jesus returned for two primary purposes. And we're going to talk about those today. The first one is, is to reveal himself, proving the resurrection. Okay? Um, we can see in 1 Corinthians 16, he revealed himself to 500 believers. In Mark 16, he appears to two disciples. Um, Luke 24, John 20, Matthew 28, and more record Jesus kind of showing himself to people. Obviously, the whole point of this was to prove that the resurrection was true. I mean, come on, who among us wouldn't do what Thomas did? I mean, poor Doubting Thomas. He's got the, he probably has a legitimate uh, first name, Thomas, but now his first name is now Doubting, and that's tough because the rest of his life, that's going to follow him. But I don't know who wouldn't be in the same position as him. Um, traditionally, he didn't believe the rest of the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead, and he wouldn't until he touched Jesus' wounds. So what did Jesus do? He had him touch him, right? He let him see it. He let him touch it. He, he doesn't dictate that he was the Son of God. He demonstrated it. And this was true even in death and eventual resurrection. And the second thing he did, the second reason for hanging around for another 40 days, is to spend time and lay out the mission for his disciples. If we remember the disciples, they needed direction here. Um, they had the wrong idea, and they had it for the whole time. They thought that Jesus was to come as the conquering king and rule physically on earth. And under that preposition, they, they followed him. And then when he died, that was all out the window for them. They were confused. What they expected to happen didn't happen. And so they needed direction. Jesus needed to be there to repoint them from what their expectations were. He told them that that was going to happen. He told them that he would die and wasn't going to rule physically. They often still had the wrong idea. Okay? So he had to be there for those 40 more days to repoint them, get them moving back in the right direction. Eventually, when it plays out, they didn't know what to do with themselves. And so he returns to prove his resurrection and lay out his mission for the disciples. So that's what we're going to be talking through today. We're going to walk through kind of what that looks like for his disciples. And specifically, we're going to narrow in on Peter in John chapter 21. There's a lot of cool interactions between Jesus and his disciples in those 40 days. We're specifically going to focus on John 21 um, and Peter and what it looks like for Peter and what that means to us. So before we get uh, all the way into it, let's, uh, let's just pray. Dear Father, Lord, I thank you for the time that you've given us today um, to listen to you. I, uh, I pray that you can keep our hearts open and our minds open to listen for your word, um, to take what has happened uh, between you and your disciples and, and have us to uh, apply it to our lives as appropriate and to, uh, to listen for you and to, uh, to really move forward in our faith. In your heavenly name I pray and I thank you. Amen. 
So let's, let's set the scene in John chapter 21, um, and, and I'll admit that this is one of my favorite scenes. I, I think it's just a really cool, um, a cool scene that sometimes we don't get a good picture of with everything else that's going on. So this is John 21, if you're playing the home game. Uh, verse 1, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, just, just a real quick stop. Sometimes Peter's been accused here of getting tired of waiting for Jesus and going back to his old way of life. I don't really think that the text bears that out. I think he's waiting for Jesus and he's a fisherman and uh, he just went fishing while he was waiting. So I think Peter kind of gets a bum rap in some circumstances there. Um, and it's also it's good to remember that the, that the disciples haven't really been doing much since Jesus died, except for hiding from people. They largely were afraid that the Jews were going to come kill them too, so they kept tucking themselves away. Jesus has kind of poltergeisted himself a couple times and freaked them out and talked to them, showed them the wounds, and left again. So that's kind of where they're at. They're, they're still in a bit of a state of disarray. Continuing in verse 4, it says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. This is interesting, because they were out all night, right? They left, and they were out all night, didn't catch anything. And the next morning, a stranger comes up and tells them to move the net. Now, I don't know if you've been in a circumstance where you did something that you did for a living, and then a strange person, after you've been unsuccessful, comes up and says, hey... Do something different than what you're doing. I'm sure they're like, yeah, right. You know, we've been fishing this thing all night. Whatever. Okay? But they do it. And that, that's interesting. And actually, you're going to talk about in your small groups as to why they did it. I actually don't, I'm not sure the answer to that. But that's a discussion for later. Um, but they do it, and they get a massive catch. And notice that John recognizes Jesus not for who he is. Remember, he was, they were 100 yards out. So 300 feet away. They can't really see the guy. He's a stranger to them. But when he says to move the net and they catch the fish, now John recognizes him by what has happened, by what's done. He doesn't see any clearly. He recognizes Jesus by the things that have happened. By the way, who is the one that Jesus loved? It's, it's John. The one that Jesus loved was John. He's the one who you know, leans over to Jesus at the communion table and asks who will betray him. He's the one who will take care of Jesus' mother as he's being crucified, who Jesus kind of directs to take care of his mom. It was very much like a big brother, little brother relationship uh, between Jesus and John. And it was probably enough to make Peter sick. Uh, Peter doesn't seem like a guy who would tolerate that type of manly affection. Um, continuing on, it says, When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I like this. Peter hightails it out of there. Right? He sees Jesus. He knows it's the Lord. He puts on it. Who adds more before you jump into the sea and swim a hundred yards? But that's what Peter does. He puts on it and he hightails it out of there. Leaving everybody else to row the boat in, by the way. Which I'm sure they weren't very happy with. And when he gets there, Jesus is hanging out, cooking breakfast for everybody. 
And he asks for more fish to be brought. Peter, who perhaps is overdoing at this point, runs back into the boat and hauls these 153, and the Bible says large fish, so you've got to assume more than one pound. So this is a hefty haul of fish that Peter is single-manned back off the boat to bring it into Jesus. He's pretty jazzed. But one of the coolest things to note, I think, of this part is the continuation of what we had seen previously from Jesus, and that's the importance of, of the relationships. He's back from the dead. Uh, he's, he's revealed himself after resurrecting Uh, He could pretty much just kind of dictate at people, and people would listen. But look where he starts. He sits down, they show up, he's cooking breakfast. He's got fish on the boil, he's got some some bread ready to go. There's fellowship here. We need to understand that, that about our journey with Jesus, is that we have a relational deity. We have someone who is taking the time, like I said, I mean, these people know him, they've seen him, they've seen him back from the dead. He could have just started talking. Okay? But he starts with the relationship. He starts with the fellowship. This pattern will, bell its, um, will bear itself out previously by Jesus and forward. In Acts 2.42, we find that the early church is devoted to prayer and fellowship and breaking of bread. Um, we see this in the establishment of communion, where Jesus has shared bread and wine to discuss the upcoming events. The feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. He's meeting needs and then talking. Jesus is not the president submitting his weekly address to the nation. It starts with relationships. It starts with fellowship, taking care of needs, and he does this here. Okay, so that's the scene, right? They're out there fishing. They come in. He's making breakfast. Uh, kind of a surreal uh, type of setup where Jesus is cooking for you after he's come back from the dead. I know that would, uh, that would be kind of awkward for me. And they, notice they didn't say anything. They said they, they didn't say anything to him. I don't know how you would open that conversation. I would kind of wait till Jesus fired it up. I'm not sure I would insert myself into that conversation before he did. All right, so that's the scene. Let's continue and let's look at Peter. And this is starting in verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. There's three things that I I think we want to take out of this. Actually, there's a ton of things, but we're going to focus on three. And the first one is, this is a chance for Peter to repent publicly in the same fashion that he denied publicly. Some Bibles will list this as Jesus reinstates Peter, and I'm not sure that's capturing it quite correct. I like Jesus deals with Peter or allows Peter to deal with himself a little better. We need to remember that Peter's denial was not a surprise to Jesus. I mean, he predicted it, which frankly made it worse. But back in John 13, 36, where he said, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where am I, where I am going? You cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So let's look what actually happened um, with Peter. And this is back in Matthew 26. Um, just as Jesus was being carried away. It says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when we went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
make no mistake here, Jesus, or, uh, Peter, Peter was a coward here. In this instance, he was a coward. He had declared to Jesus that he would lay his life down for him, and then he was ready to go with him to death. But look at his actions. When they came to arrest Jesus in John 18, Peter hacked a guy's ear off with a sword. And this wasn't the first time that his kind of impetuousness had jumped off in front of Jesus. If you remember, Jesus was telling the disciples of his upcoming crucifixion back in Mark. uh, This is chapter 8. And Peter rebukes him and tries to step in front of Jesus' ultimate purpose. And Jesus' response was harsh. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God. Peter's bravado is pretty evident. But when the time comes, he drops the ball. He doesn't follow through. And look at who accuses him of knowing Jesus. It's a servant girl. It's, it's, it's a woman. It's likely a, a young woman, probably a teenager. It didn't come from a Roman guard or some malcontent um, who was set on seeing Jesus punished. All it took was an inquiry of a very young girl to throw Jesus off the track. Or sorry, Peter off the track. Um, I'm picking on Peter a bit. So the question is, why is this important? It's important because it demonstrates the depths of Peter's redemption through Christ. Peter followed Jesus for three years. He saw the miracles. He saw the character of Jesus. And he saw the authority through which Jesus taught. Yet he still fell away. In the face of persecution, he denied Christ. It's worth remembering here that the trade-off of the three public denials to the three public declarations of love for Christ is interesting, but it's not necessary for Peter's forgiveness. Jesus allows him the opportunity to do this. He tolerates our, our continued repentance of the same sin, even though he has let it go. Ultimately, Jesus allows Peter the chance to take another shot at public declaration, and this time, he got it right. Okay? So that was number one. And number two, we also see in this section a validation of Peter's actual commitment to Christ. Jesus seeks to confirm that Peter actually loves him, and to a certain extent that he understands what that means when he says it. And this, of all things, is the basic question for us. Do you love Jesus? Perhaps a bit informally, but this is really the start of Peter's leadership. And Jesus is establishing that it must start with and ultimately be based upon love for Jesus. Amidst all things, we must love Jesus. We see that Peter becomes disappointed in the conversation because Jesus has asked him the same question, do you love me, three times. Peter's kind of broken here. So why do, you, why do you keep asking me this? I, you know, don't you know that I love you? Jesus is kind of breaking Peter a little bit, but he's stripping everything down to the core, and Peter is humbled, and his heart is changed. Ultimately, the Peter of the Gospels here is not the Peter we see in Acts, who is a dynamic guy that's preaching to tons of people and bringing them to Jesus, and he's not the seasoned, encouraging, and reasoned communicator that he is in First and Second Peter, the books that he contributed. Okay? He's a different guy in the Gospels than he is then. Okay? And Jesus is humbling him so that he knows to start. Where you need to start is love for Jesus. It's also important to see where this commitment leads. Um, this is back in verse 18. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. In this, when Jesus is saying, follow me to Peter, he's being quite literal here. Peter will die via crucifixion. He will literally follow Jesus to death via crucifixion. Now, tradition holds that Peter died um, being crucified upside down because he didn't, want to, uh, didn't feel honored or, uh, to, to die in the same way that Jesus died. Okay? But he was being literal here. You are going to follow me. Ultimately, the disparity between Peter's 
beliefs and actions just prior to Jesus' death, when he said, I will follow you, okay, and then he falls away, they're ultimately reconciled in Peter's own death. Ultimately, what Peter said was true when he said, Jesus, I will follow you. He just got the timing wrong and didn't follow through when he could have. Okay? Ultimately, that's where Peter ends up. And finally, from this section, we find a call to action. Let's look at the pattern again when Jesus is talking to Peter. Uh, and this is back in verse 15. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Now there's a lot of interesting discussion um, in this section, uh, specifically around um, the different types of love that were being talked about. Um, But we're going to focus on the pattern of the question. Do you love me? Do something. Do you really love me? Do something. Do you really love me? Then do something. We are assured in this section that love is not merely a condition of the heart. Love bears fruit. It's backed by action. It's not enough just to say you love your spouse or your kids. You must demonstrate it. It bears fruit in how you talk to them, how you teach them, how you lead them, how you support them. The same is true for our relationship with God. The goal is not setting yourself up to look like a good Christian, like a Christ follower. The question is, what are you doing? You love people, serve them, care for them, teach them, make disciples. The section of the scripture ties up in an interesting and kind of funny way. I only mention this because I think it's interesting. Um, in uh, verse 20, it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I like this because it's, it, it shows you the dynamic between Peter and John. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to follow me. And, and notice it says, he turned. It's not like John was like walking by and he caught his eye. Peter turns to John and says, what about that guy? What are you going to do with him? Which is, is pretty par for the course, right? You get, uh, getting in trouble is not the right dynamic. But like someone says, hey, something rough is going to happen to you. Uh, maybe, maybe your brother, right? Your brother's sitting next to you. You just got in trouble. You say, well, what about him? What's going to happen to that guy? That's the guy. I think you should tell me what's going to go on there. This all can't be me. Okay? Uh, and Jesus' response, uh, of course, is solid. He says, uh, that's really not your business. You are going to follow me. And that's an interesting perspective for us because I think it's, it's good to be reminded. Sometimes we can look around and we can see other people and say, look at the life they have. Look at what they're doing. Jesus is looking at you and saying, you, you follow me. I will be concerned about that guy. I'll take care of him and what his responsibilities are. This actually turns out well for John. There were rumors among the disciples um, that, he, that John was going to get to li- live forever because Jesus had said, you know, if, if I want to leave him here until I come, that's kind of my business. Um, and so they, they, they got to talking and said, well, maybe he's going to let John live forever. That didn't happen, and John clarified that. Um, but John also didn't kind of, he didn't die the same way a lot of the other dudes died. A lot of dudes had it pretty rough, a lot of beheadings, a lot of crucifixions, some spearing. Uh, John actually seems like he died an old man somewhere relatively comfortably. So the question then is, is so what? He hung around, he talks to Peter. Now what? What, are, what is Peter going to do? What are we going to do? What can we do? Well, let's put ourselves in Peter's position. First, we need to answer Jesus' question. Do you love me? If the answer is yes, then what's the next step? Do something. 
Okay? Do you love me? Yes, I do. Do something. I would start, if you're going to start doing something, by lining up your actions with your beliefs. Some of you that would answer yes to the question, if Jesus were to ask you, do you love me? You would also admit that sometimes you feel lost. That although you believe in him, you don't feel like you have a real connection with God. And there's nothing more confusing or frustrating than believing something, but not acting consistently with that. Um, let's say that you're, you, you take a, a sidewalk, a normal sidewalk, between your, out of the parking garage and your work. Okay? And you knew for a fact that if you walk on this sidewalk at this time of day, you're going to get hit by a car. Okay? You know, I don't know how you know that, but you know that, and you're comfortable with it. Okay? Let's say you walk on that sidewalk anyway. Are you going to walk very strongly? You're going to be very hesitant. You're going to be looking around. You can't quite figure out why you're walking on it. You know that someone's going to hit you with a car. Okay? You can't walk strongly if your actions are not matching what is in your mind. If I believe in God and my actions aren't consistent with that, it's tough to live a strong lifestyle. It's tough to not be confused and not be frustrated because things aren't moving or going how you expect them to be. And it's because there's a, there a difference between what you're thinking and what you're doing. If you're going to follow Christ, it is not just enough to do it in your mind. Um, if, if you have a significant other with you, just turn to them right now and say, I love you in my mind. And we'll see how that goes for you. Okay? See how endearing they feel for you having said that to them. Okay? I love you in my mind, honey. I tried that. Saturday to test it out, to see how it was going to go. Not good. <laughs> Not good. All right. So here's some quick options to try to reconcile that. The first is to get into your Bible. Okay? If you want to hear from God, you've got to read what he says. Study it. Pray on it. Ask questions. Talk it over with your friends. Now, maybe the first thing that jumps to your mind is, uh, my friends aren't really going to want to do that with me. I don't, I don't have the type of friends that want to do that. They're going to think I'm weird. Yes. Yes, they will. Here's the second option. Get into a small group. I'm in one. Those people are all weird. You're not going to stick out. Okay? Get into a small group. It's a dedicated time to spend with other people, sharing stories, talking about God, getting to know people, and letting people get to know you. Has anybody ever been to a, um, a family reunion that wasn't yours? It's weird in there. You don't know anybody, right? You're hanging back. It's very, very awkward. If you go to your own family reunion, you know everybody. You've seen them. It's, it may have been years, but you still know them, and you can have conversations with them, and it's very comfortable. Um, it's very difficult to get connected somewhere and get to know a lot of people if you're always at someone else's family reunion. Okay? You've got to join the family, start getting to know the people, and, and then it's comfortable again. Okay? Otherwise, you're just going to bounce around always at someone else's family reunion, and it's continually awkward. If you want to see your change in your life, you need to surround yourself with godly people. And don't, don't wait on this. Like if, you're, if you're interested or you've been thinking about it, I encourage you not to wait. Um, and if you're interested in... Find someone you know. Find someone that you know here and say, hey, are you in a small group? And if the first person you find is not in a small group, grab them, and you two go ask somebody else. Okay? And if the third person you ask is not in a small group, sit down, figure out when you're going to meet, you've got enough for a small group. Okay? Pretty easy. Okay? Maybe, back to our question, do you love me? You would answer yes to Jesus' question, but you feel like you can't act confidently because you have a sin in your life that's holding you back. Okay? Most of the time, the issue is that Jesus has let it go and we haven't. That's an excellent tool of the devil. But sometimes you just need some support. I have another option. Get into a life transformation group. Um, a life transformation group, or an LTG, is a group of two or three same-gendered people that spend time together uh, weekly in the interest of actually transforming your lives. Okay? Um, I would say that 
this is a very effective tool. Um, I'm in one, and I've noticed a significant difference in where my life is at for having been a part of one. Um, as much as I want to change the things I do to focus my, my life on God, to find the other aspects of my life and, and tune them more towards um, where I think they should be, as much as I try to do that on my own, there's something about having people that are walking that walk with you. And that LTG is very helpful with that. There's a Bible reading commitment and a series of questions that you answer among each other to see where everybody's at. There's no leader here. Um, just make sure you trust the folks that you're in cahoots with because you're going to be bearing your soul a bit. Okay, so don't pick up some random Joe off the street. You've got to know who you're with. Um, don't wait on this either. Okay? It's time to be done with the things that you want to be done with. Okay? If you've got something hanging on in your life that you want done with, it, it, it's time to be, for that to be over. And the LTG is a good start with that. Maybe, though, you're here today and you wouldn't know how to answer Jesus' question. Do you love me? It could be a straight-out no, I guess. But it also could be an I don't know. And the first thing I'd say to that is, thanks for your honesty. There's no reason to placate God. He knows better. Okay? But I would also encourage you with the news that He already knows you and loves you regardless of where you're at. He's not as concerned with where you've walked before, but where you're stepping next. I would encourage you to reach out to Him through prayer. Do it. Again, there really isn't a reason to wait here. Do it today. It does not return void. I promise you that. He's already taken the steps. He's made the sacrifice. He just wants you to accept the gift. Uh, We're going to pray here in just a minute. And if you take that step, I would encourage you to come share it with me or or find Pastor Dan and share it with him or the person that invited you or the person sitting next to you or anybody because we want to celebrate with you and help you with the next steps. Okay? There's always somewhere to go. If you can answer yes to Jesus' question but you don't know where to plug in or where to start in your Bible or what ministries in the church you can help with, same deal. Find somebody. Come find me. Talk to Dan. Shake the guy next to you. He's going to get really irritated with you if you shake him too long. So just give him a little bit of a poke. and Say, hey, where can I plug in? Okay. Big event. Lots of cool stuff going on. What do we do after? What happens next? It's not start planning for the next big event so that we can build up to it, okay? It's to take the big event, remember what happened on the event, okay? And live it daily, and use it effectively to change where we're stepping next. Let's pray.